The Book Thingo podcast is a lively discussion about romance books, culture, and telling generational stories. This is episode 41 featuring Danielle Binks at the Australian Romance Readers Convention in Melbourne. Book Thingo would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this episode was recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We also acknowledge the contributions of Aboriginal Australians to our shared literary heritage. Welcome to the Book Thingo podcast, talking about books we love, especially romance. Kill a fairy fast on the Book Thingo podcast. Welcome back to the Book Thingo podcast. I'm Kat Mayer from bookthingo.com.au, an Aussie blog for romance readers. Our guest for this episode is an amazing advocate for romance fiction, young adult, and reading culture in general. Danielle Binks is a writer, book blogger, literary agent, and former chair of Love Oz YA, a community of advocates for Australian youth literature. She has written articles on the romance community in Australia and has twice won the Romance Media Award for Outstanding Reporting of Romance. Danielle has been on the podcast before. If you recall episode 35, we had her on the show as part of our Sydney Writers Festival recap. You might also recognise her name from the numerous literary festivals she has appeared at this year after the release of the YA anthology Begin and Begin, which Danielle edited. Plus, she's a super amazing person, so you've probably seen her on my Instagram photos and Rudy's Instagram photos as well. This episode is chock full of book titles and authors, particularly young adult and new adult titles. So I apologise in advance if you blow your book budget this month. You can find information on all the books we talk about in this episode by going to bookthingo.com.au slash podcast and clicking on episode number 41. Congratulations on your very successful stint. Chairing, is it chairing or leading the OzYA I don't know, group community. I'm not in the I'm not plugged into the YA community. No, no. So I was uh, Love Oz YA chair. Uh, and I have just recently stepped down ahead of the Love Oz YA anthology book coming out in April because that's not an official book out of the Love Oz YA movement. It's just a book that HarperCollins is putting out. What are you up to now that you don't have YA at the front forefront of your life? Yeah. <laughs> well I still do. I'm writing my own <laughs> YA, so I'm never very far away from YA. My big forefront, though, is agenting. I joined the Jacinta Damasi Literary Agency as an agent scout last July, and I've sold my first book to Hachette, which is coming out. Yeah, it's, it's a YA book by a debut Indigenous author coming out in 2018. And do you have a title for the book? It is called Borderland, and it is it's magical realism, very social issues. It's about Indigenous land rights. And who's um, the author? Graham Arkhurst. Okay. Um, he's brilliant. Debut author, like I said. You're going to hear a lot from him, I think. So just stay tuned. What's life like as an agent as opposed to reader and, I guess, genre advocate? Life as an agent is I get a lot more emails. <laughs> I'm doing a lot more reading. So how does this affect the amount of romance you get to read? Oh, wow. Yeah, it is affecting it probably a little bit. But also, I think just life is affecting it as well. It's been a pretty crappy time socially, politically at the moment. Though that's probably more of a reason why I'm reading more romance. So probably I'm not reading as much YA because I'm getting a lot of that in my manuscript submission diet. So in my recreational reading now, I am 
really only reading romance, whereas before it was a pretty good balance of reading general fiction, romance, YA, middle grade. Now I'm pretty focused on romance in my recreational life. You need something comforting. I need so much comfort, Kat. <laughs> I need so much comfort. So who are you reading right now? Who are some of your favourites at the moment? Right now I'm reading Blind Tiger, which is Rachel Vincent's second book in her Wildcats spin-off series. Did you see her when she was in Australia? No, I didn't. Oh, and it, I'm so annoyed because I loved her Shifter series and I was so happy that she did a spin-off. And the second book as well, it's funny because I'm reading this to get away from politics in the real world, but there's actually, she goes into a lot more of the politics of the shifters world, urban fantasy world, but I'm really enjoying it. It's a very thoughtful, sexy, wildcats book. I'm really, really loving it. And I'm also reading, having just said I'm not reading a lot of YA, I'm making an exception for Jodie McAllister's Valentine. Aww. Yeah, which has just come out because it's sexy YA. And it's, again, it's magic, it's fantasy, you know, so that's a nice... Um, little break and also I'm, I'm reading something that Kylie Scott has just sent me. Oh I think I know which book that yeah. is. So she just made a little announcement about something that's going to come in July and it's really good. It's really <laughs> She's really a really good. good writer. Her writing oh. is just kind of you just really want the characters to win and they're yes. funny and they're sharp yes. uh, and they're kind of imperfect but, yeah. but lovable and this is one that she sent it to me I think she said it being like literally last night because I was fangirling about the fact that it was coming and I just started reading like, I thought I'm just going to read the first page. Can you say then, the title? It's called Trust. But yeah, I just started reading it and I haven't stopped and it's amazing. Excellent. It's amazing. Now let's talk about Summer Skin because oh, you're the one who God. raved about this book so much that I felt like I couldn't not read it anymore and I finally read it. Actually, do you know, I actually had sent that book to somebody else even without me reading it, because so many people yeah. had told me that it was really good. Right, right. I'm just going to try and, hold on. I'm just going to bring up what, because the reason that I was really excited for this book, because I love Kirsty Eager. If you haven't read Kirsty Eager before, her debut novel was Raw Blue, and it's one of the best Australian YA titles I've ever read to this day. It's a magnificent book. Can I just say, I actually got a review, a reading copy of that book, and yeah. I didn't read it. Oh. Because it looked like sort of surfy chick ennui. I was like, mm, it looks really depressing. And I, God damn it, Kat, how could you just so easily I know. summarize it? <laughs> <laughs> like, don't be so dismissive. It Do is actually know? amazing. We were just in a panel where publishers asked us questions, and I put my hand up as someone who didn't care about the cover, but obviously I do care about the cover. <laughs> it just didn't scream sort of romance-ish to me, and I deeply regret it. It's so good because Kirsty Eager is somebody who just pulls you in. She pulls you under. You know, she's got a life as a surfer, and I think she has learnt very well how to, like, be a tidal wave of a writer, and she just pulls you under and you get hooked. But Summer Skin, the, the cover of Summer Skin is stunning to begin with. It's this hot pink yeah. Riot Girl cover. And it has a quote from Clementine Ford, who's obviously the Daily Life writer. She's a feminist. She has her book, Fight Like a Girl, that just came out last year and was an ABC book club favourite book of readers. And Clementine Ford's like tagline for Kirsty Eager's Summer Skin is, as smart as it is hot, the feminist love story that girls have been waiting for. And it is so goddamn perfect. Because it is. It's like a riot girl love story meets dumb preppy jock. <laughs> and it's hot. It is so hot. And I just, Loved it and I love Kirsty so much. I also love the fact that it was able to convey university life yes. in Australia really yeah. well. Yeah. And even in US New Adult, we don't really get that accurate depiction of what it's like at university. No. Very few books put 
that level of detail into it. It's yeah. usually just a backdrop. Yeah, It's absolutely. a bit like historical romance where the historical part is a backdrop and it's so focused yeah. on the characters it doesn't really care about those details, whereas this yeah. has that feeling of yeah. being in college. And it is that feeling of the setting really influences what happens to the characters in a really big way. This is when you get really messy. You're at that age when life gets messy and you kind of embrace that and you're also horrified of it. It's just really goddamn good. All the characters feel very... Every character feels like I've known someone like that. I've been that person in my life and I've been best friends with that person in my life. And it's just brilliant. And I'm really interested. This is probably one of the few books that I'm... I'm actually going to buy the US version because I'm interested to see what they might change because obviously with drinking laws being different drinking ages being different and everything and I'm wondering if they're going to like age up the characters a little bit which might but then it's isn't it an Australian university it's pretty clearly in Brisbane I think uh yes yeah 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 I don't know what they're gonna do I don't know so I'm really interested to see how that plays out because there's a little bit of morality in America Maya with some of the stuff that Kirsty goes into you know the sex and love and and messy relationships and and slut shaming and kind of rape culture as well so I'm interested to see how American YA handles that because I've more seen American NA handling that that has been predominantly self-published as well. So it's going to be interesting. So if for readers who enjoyed Summer Skin, do you have other books that you would recommend to them? I think Serena Bowen's series and Kristen Callahan's The Hookup series as well. I think Serena Bowen, from memory, I think Kirsty Eager has read Serena Bowen and loved her. Oh, maybe don't cut me on that. But I'm pretty sure that I recommended Serena Bowen to Kirsty Eager. I think Serena Bowen has been really fascinating in her, what's it called? We All Fall Down. Yep. The, 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 the Ivy Years. The Ivy Years series has been really interesting, partly because Serena Bowen, and I just said this during a panel, I said that she was able to pivot and include societal and political stuff that was happening in the US at the time. So she explores slut shaming and rape culture on campus. That makes it sound like a real downer, <laughs> and it's not. But I just found that she was really able to pinpoint what people in their early 20s are going through right now. So yeah, I think if you like Summer Skin, I think try uh, Serena Bowen, I think try Kristen Callahan. I'd also say there's not a lot of Australian new adult titles out there. I think Summer Skin is a very rare Australian title and it's not terribly similar, but Melina Marquette is The Piper's Son. I love that book. Is probably my favorite Aussie YA book of all time. And I say Aussie YA, even though it's probably really not. It's probably closer to just general fiction or adult fiction. But that and Summer Skin are in categories all of their own because they're not the typical new adult, but they're very smart. And they just straddle the line that feels very real when you're that age of you don't really feel like you're that young anymore, but you don't really feel like you're prepared to be an adult yet. And I also love the Piper's son because there's a character in there called Georgie who is like mid-30s or early 40s, but she's just as wayward and just as lost as any teen reader reading that book would be. So it's this nice reminder that even when you are technically an adult, you still do not have your shit together. I love that book, but her love story just... Oh, so I'm still coming to terms with it. Can I say, I, I reread that book once a year. Not, not necessarily the actual book, but I listen to the audiobook of it because let me also tell you, the audiobook narrator of The Piper's Son is hot. He has oh, a hot voice. okay. I'm going to have to try that. Hot voice. But because every time that that comes up to that relationship with Georgie, I just, I break down in tears. I will say though, I've reread that book at least five times. Yeah, me too. And every time I reread it, I discover things that she wrote 
in the beginning of the story or earlier in the story that justifies the ending. And I don't want it to sound like it was an unhappy ending. It's not. No. It's just it needed a lot of resolution and it yeah. doesn't all happen at the end. Mm-mm. But when I reread it, I keep discovering these things and I'm like, actually, this is part of yeah. the way that she um, redeems the hero, I guess, of that 100%. love story. 100%. And it's but interesting also, yep. because when I first read it, I related more to Tom because he's very, he's very lost. He's very angry. Very and she angry. does anger and grief so well. superbly. So well. You can really channel yourself through a Melina Marquetta book really well. But I then I often do. <laughs> and then as, I mean, as I'm, all... like a, I'm like a zombie for a week going, how, how can this world exist without everybody reading this book? 100%. But, you know, as I reread it, I, I relate more and more to Georgie as well. So I think that's... And I, I also, I recently, because Melina Marquetta's Tell the Truth, Shame the Devil came out. And it's interesting to read that book and the, the Piper Sun because they've got a lot of similarities. Yeah, I noticed that too. So, yeah, this is completely off topic from Kirsty Eager's Summer Skin, but read the Piper Sun regardless. Well, it's I a find really good them, book. It, they're like authors in the same category, even though they're not writing yeah. similar books. No, and only similar insofar as they're both very truthful about the human condition. Yeah, I think it's the, the way that the, the types of emotions they evoke are very mm. similar, even yes. though they're writing completely different things. Um, so I read um, Tell the Truth, Shame the Devil. Yeah. And can I just say, she cannot escape her young adult no. slash new adult, no. uh, um, I don't know, uh, feelings yeah. that she, she brings to the reader. Because yeah. in that book, there is a subplot yeah. sort of relationship yeah. that is just, it, <laughs> it just broke me. I know, and I know. all she did was like maybe two paragraphs. Yeah. Or so. And I'm like, how did she do that? Yeah. Like, I, these people aren't even the main characters. I know. And then you get to the end, you're like, I just really want to read more about these people. Are you talking about the lawyer and... Yes. Yes? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I was like, rooting for them so hard. I was hard. so shattered. Invested. When, I was so shattered at how they broke up. Yeah. And then so invested in them getting back yeah. together. And I also love it because... Um, Melina really can break her male characters. She can really bring them down to their, their really base instincts. But then she builds them up again with love. She really shows that, that men need a love as much as women do and they need to express their feelings as much as women do. So that character broke me because he was so fragile. And, and in many oh. ways their anger is a, is a result of not being able to communicate their feelings. Yeah. The, other, the other thing I think she does very strongly is she layers her, the, the, the plot itself so in tell the truth shame the devil there are things that she doesn't tell the reader but her characters know those things so her characters always act like they've known those things there isn't she doesn't her characters are not um there to hide their truths it's just that she picks and chooses what she writes about the characters and then you get to the reveal and you're like oh my god of course (laughs) of course this is the way it was and yeah and it's just devastating but also it's you just i I literally read it and I just go, how? How did she yeah. write this yeah. in this way? It's why her characters always feel so real because they're holding stuff back as people do in real life and it feels like they've lived lives before we've come to them on the page. So she's incredible at that. And I also love, even though Tell the Truth, Shame the Devil is adult fiction, there's still a teenager at the centre of the plot. Like she can't get... Melina Marchetta is all for telling generational stories and she's never going to be an author who thinks that, oh, I'm writing for adults now, so teenagers don't matter. It's like, no. In any family, the young people are very important. They're and like they the have conduits. Their, they yeah. are, and they have agency, and they can make their own decisions, 
Um, so just because she's written an adult book, she hasn't forgotten that teenagers are still around and they're still important and significant and they can have their own lives and make their own decisions and be crucial change makers in a family as well. And that's very cool. And I love that her young people in her stories are fierce. They're yeah. really fierce. The girls especially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what other books, are, what books are you looking forward to this year that haven't come out yet? Uh, well, I've heard, because probably my, one of my favourite books from last year was Sally Thorne's The Hating Game. And I've heard... I spoke to her the other week. Shut up. I know. <laughs> I know. I listened. I was She's very, very envious. She's very sweet. Very sweet. Well, you tell me. What has she got coming out? Is it this year? Like, you know, it really bugs me when people say, it's coming out fall, because I don't I don't. Want I to be have American. the same problem. Okay, so... <laughs> I think for authors like Sally, where the debut novel is just so huge and gets so much um, attention, the process of writing the second book is actually really different. I think she said that she wrote the first book, she wrote the draft and then she'd tinker with it over the years, Mm. whereas now she's working to a deadline. Um, And I think a lot of authors, I mean, there are authors that I can think of that I... I'm assuming are struggling with similar things yeah. like Lisa Valdez. She wrote. Oh um, my Passion. god! Don't even get me started. I'm waiting for Lisa Valdez. Oh my god! And then with the second book, you know, she was very open about the fact that she was really yeah. struggling to finish it. And now with the third yeah. book, you know, she'll update yeah. occasionally. But yeah, I'd appreciate it if somebody would tell me like this is how long it's been since the, the author's <laughs> next book came out. So if you're going to go into the series. Expect like an eight-year wait. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the good thing is it's not a continuing series in the sense that you're not on a cliff. She didn't leave you with a cliffhanger. It's not like Outlander, which is like five years between books. Yeah, but but have some sympathy for them. I mean, as a reader, of course, I want the book already. But I can just imagine that if you suddenly are confronted with all these expectations, that it can stifle your creative creativity. Yeah, absolutely. You almost want to be halfway through the second book when the first one comes out and then you're like too far into it you just gotta keep going you know what I mean so oh I can really and it's because it was a sleeper hit it was a surprise hit it got picked up like by like Sarah McLean in her column saying this is amazing this is the hating game yeah the hating game I first heard about it as well because I saw Sarah McLean recommending it to like Kristen Higgins I think and I was like ooh, I want to hear about that and I think it came out at the right time. We're oh, just yeah. kind of, uh, we're, we're, we're recovering, I guess, yeah. from dystopia yeah. and dark paranormals, dark contemporaries, yeah. BDSM. There's a lot of yeah. dark themes that this book is be- basically the antithesis of, yeah. of that. Plus, it's just very sweet. Oh, it was. And the her- heroine is just in the center of the entire story. It was. And the hero was, you know, the clavicles. Oh, my God, the clavicles. The clavicles. <laughs> <laughs> so Honestly, right. I'm still not over the fact that, oh, I just go to the gym because I'm bored. <laughs> I'm just going to build some muscles because yeah. I have nothing better to do. <laughs> oh, God. But, uh, no, you're right. It came at a really good time. It's almost you can kind of see people who didn't like Fifty Shades, you can sort of say to them, everything that you hated about Fifty Shades, try it with Hating Game. Like but it's, you know. That's true. And I also think that people who binged on books after discovering Fifty Shades are getting to the point where they're, they're saturated now and they're yeah. looking for something different. Yeah, 100%. So it's interesting because, you know, the, the progression seems to be Fifty Shades, Motorcycle Club. Oh, my God. Don't even get me started on Motorcycle Club. <laughs> Bikey oh gangs. Bikey gang books is what I call them. Oh. I mean, do you find that that has a different connotation in Australia? I mean, I yeah. I just cannot take it seriously. You know what else I couldn't take seriously was I read a whole slew of new adult titles and I'm thinking specifically of like Jamie Maguire's Beautiful Disaster where it was college campus setting 
but the hero was part of an underground fighting network. <laughs> like, oh, at, like fight a fight club. club. Hero. <laughs> like, this has happened on college campuses in America. This sounds awful. Yeah, you're right. I got into, because I did read the Fifty Shades trilogy, and it's, um, I just think from algorithms, the natural leap is to be, is to be recommended all those MC books. And also because, remember, this was when the, um, oh, come on. What was that TV show about the motorcycle club? Anarchy? Sons of Anarchy. Sons. Yeah, Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> so I think it was it was a really weird time in, in uh, I don't even want to call it romance. It was more erotica and BDSM. Yeah. It was like Fifty Shades came out. Sons of Anarchy was on the air. Everyone loved Charlie Hunnam. And suddenly a lot of readers were segueing into really violent worlds where men, where it was, it was very much the patriarchy were ruling, you know, and it was kind of a creepy place to be. Yeah. And now we're kind of, you're right, we're kind of segueing out of that a little bit possibly because of what's happening politically. We're like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to read about some guy that's dominating me all the time. Fuck that. <laughs> you know, give me something way better. <laughs> that leads me to my next question. Do you think we'll see more politically aware heroes and heroines? Because for quite a number of years now, politics and religion have generally been diluted in contemporary romance. Yeah. Oh. Except for inspirationals, but, you know, yeah. that's sort of part yeah. of the promise of inspiration but everything else everywhere else you know one of the other things I love about Marquetta is her all her characters have political yeah. not ideas but they have a, they have a political stance on things oh yeah and Melina's so. always been pro-refugees pro-asylum seekers and very adamant about that in her books her characters you know Georgie works for the um you know she brings in visa holders and she, and she takes the names of people who come from war-torn countries and are looking for their missing family members. Like those are characters that Melina writes about. One of the things I love about, so back to Melina Marquetta and the Piper's Son. We the can't main get away character, from her, we don't want to be. My favourite parts of, I can't even remember if it's the Piper's Son or Saving Francesca, it might have been mm. Saving Francesca, which had some of the same characters, was when Tom McKee would, you know, be this kind of really... Um, Basically, he was just the antagonist. So anything the teacher said, he was just like, nah, it's useless rubbish. And then someone eventually said, yeah. you know, ignore him. His mum works for the Human Rights Commission. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He was, they were kind of doing like a, an interclassroom debate about pro-refugees or not. And he was playing devil's advocate. And in the end, it was like, no, he really does <laughs> yeah. think the way we all should, really. That was, that was kind of great. But she's always written like that. She's always written like that. I love that. it. I, I think that's where the Australian character in her books come from, in that those essential values yeah. that come out of the history of Australia. Yeah. And she never writes about it. I no. think um, in The Piper Sun, she talks about the, um, the Wharfies, mm -hmm. uh, union protest, yeah. basically. Yeah. But it's sort of very... Which is a really beautiful moment when they both discover when they were kids, they were both down at the wharf with, yeah. their, with their union parents who were like the lawyers for the union. That was but it's very lovely. understated. It's like, this is part yeah. of my family history, but she doesn't yeah. put it in your face. And that's why I relate to her so hard is because the family talk about this. And that's, that's what my family does. We talk about it. And it's even in her fantasy books, The Limited Chronicles, is about displaced persons, displaced by war, who are just roaming the country looking the for a place to take them in. The first book in that series broke me. Finnegan of the Rock. Broke me. Beautiful. But, you know, to come back to your question about are we going to see more politics and romance, even before the election, the American election happened, even before Brexit, like I said, Clementine Ford was the one who put a tagline on, Kirst on Kirstie Eager's Summer Skin and she called it on the book cover. It says it's a feminist love story. The word feminist is on there. Uh, that's a huge signifier. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. That's interesting as well that that was a decision made to put yeah. that blurb on the book because, I mean, they're not marketing it to, I don't know, maybe they are. Who are they? Mar who have, who well, has Summer Skin been marketed to? I mean, Summer Skin is for, you know, teenagers. It's, it's YA. 
uh, in Australia, it's YA. And what's interesting with the word feminist on the cover and Clementine Ford on the cover, who's like one of our most prominent feminists in Australia at the moment, talking on, on, all, on all political issues especially. And it's interesting because when I was a teenager, I attended an all-girl high school and I thought feminist was synonymous with lesbian. So it was, it was, like a, it was, it was a very firebrand word to throw around. I think now, though, because of the likes of Clementine Ford, because of the, the likes of like Anita Sarkeesian, who does Feminist Frequency, it's, a, it's much more openly talked about. And also because of the internet, it's discussed a lot more and there's a lot more knowledge around it. And you can have, you know, the Milos, whose book just got cancelled, <laughs> who say he's out to destroy feminism. But there's a lot more people who are talking about it, talking about it, what it actually is, which is a positive movement for equality. And it's highlighting the ways that we don't have equality in all ways. And I think people ha have an unrealistic expectation of what feminism is. It's not meant to be that we all women agree on how to help all women. Yeah. It's yeah. that we know there's a problem. We're yeah. all, obviously, we're all trying to solve very similar problems. Yeah. We're, not, we're not a hive mind, so we're not going to yeah. agree on how to solve those problems. Oh, God. But we have to have the discussion yeah. and we have to have an understand, a common agreement that there is a problem. Yeah, because I think one thing that we've all called bullshit on is when Republicans say, well, you can't call yourself a feminist if you tear down Kelly on Conway. I was, We're not um, a hive mind, as you say. We're not going to all collectively love somebody because they're a woman. That's not what feminism is. I uh, sat in on a panel that was, it was actually run by a political party and they talked about the concept of toxic femininity and it is women who, well, I actually... It was very complicated and it had a very sort of um, intellectual underpinning that yeah. I had, <laughs> did not possess. But in effect, what I interpreted it as is women who, in the guise of being feminist, don't actually work towards uplifting all women. And they put themselves forward as the example mm -hmm. of what feminism can do. But in reality, what they do does not help the rest of the sisterhood, yeah. basically. And 100%, if you don't know what the word intersectional means in regards to feminist, uh, you're not a real feminist. You know, I, I do draw some pretty strict lines around that because, yeah, you can't be, I'm all for uplifting white women. No way. We're not the ones who need as much help as everyone else in the society. There's no and, way. And the, the other thing is that um, I think, and it'll be interesting to see how some of the people that, the women's marches, yeah. um, the activism, the rallies, yeah. they're getting a lot of new people who are now um, newly activated, yeah. I guess, I don't know if that's the word, in politics. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that translates to having a more, uh, a broader understanding of what they actually are yeah. advocating for. Because it's one thing to march in a women's rally and mm -hmm. kind of know vaguely it's about women's rights. Yeah. But the actual concept of feminism is really complicated and the, yeah. the language that you use has to be really sensitive to all those nuances. Yeah. And I think, like, for me, I consider myself still pretty much a beginner because mm. I'm not, I don't, I basically just absorb and I try to figure it out based yeah. on what I've seen. But mm. lots of people have already thought about this yeah. and have done, have come to conclusions that are actually really rational yeah. that, you know, it's hard to work it out because I only have my own experience. Yeah. And without considering other people's experience, I really can't pretend that my experience is the only experience. I think a lot of women will, were woken up by the fact that there is a man in the White House who is president who said, grab him by the pussy, who has been accused of raping, sexual assault, and he is the president of the United States. And that was a big wake up.
that was a big goddamn wake up call, and so it should be. And I think it's I think it's both it's a it's across all age groups have been woken up to this. Um, Lauren Duca, who's a um, a writer in America, said that for a long time Americans treated politics like it was the Olympics. You know, come, comes around like every I gotta four win, years. I've got to win the gold medal. Yeah, and then you don't really, and then you're kind of asleep for the rest of it, and that's not happening anymore. And that's awesome. And it's also, I think, linking into romance as well. Is I think it's been great in America. Teen Vogue has really led the charge in talking about politics, and they've been criticised by Fox News, of course, Lauren Ducker in particular. Fox News has said, you know, you write about high heels and lipstick, and now you're talking about abortion. And the, they come back. Our response say, is really awesome. Yeah, they I come back that. and say, "Teen girls are not only interested in lipstick and high heels; they can hold more than two thoughts in their brains at once." Amazingly, um, and you know, Teen Vogue has said, "We are educating young women. We are making them participants in politics and life. This is all going to affect them." So, I think that's really interesting. So, I absolutely can see in YA. Um, Angie Thomas has got a book coming out this year, "The Hate You Give," which is about Black Lives Matter. It's been, it's been uh, it's inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement and an incident that happens with a young black boy being killed in front of uh, the protagonist. I can see this infiltrating, I mean, that's infiltrated YA in a really big way. I can see romance getting on this on this bandwagon as well because it's not a bandwagon, it's life. It's, it's now reality and we've all got to adjust our you know, television screens and our mindsets and I can absolutely see it infiltrating romance in a much bigger way. I wonder if we'll get new adult with abortions in the next five years? Well, you know what? I actually put the call out and I said, can anybody name for me a young adult book which is about a, a teenager having to go get an abortion in America? Because you've got to cross state lines. You've got to have parental permission. You've got to be able to pay for it. Not many people could come back to me and say, yeah, here's like a whole slew of titles. But there is one coming out this year by an author called Bonnie Pipkin, which I've actually had sent to me. It's called Aftercare Instructions. Oh, you tweeted about this. Yeah, because okay. I, I thought it was about BDSM. No, because it's a young adult book about a, a young teen girl needing an abortion, and because they have such strict abortion laws in America now, it's like it's a it's a road trip because she's got to go on the road to go to the abortion clinic. Because one of the other issues is people who help you. You can't yeah. risk them being implicated implicated yeah, in what you're doing. To me, it doesn't even have to be the main character. You know, yeah. as a woman, it's very difficult to have gone to high school, gone to uni and finished without knowing at least one person who's had yeah. to consider it. 100%. And also I'm, I'm interested in television shows are getting up on this as well. There's an MTV series called Sweet Vicious, which I would highly recommend. It's like a teen show. It is about rape on college campuses. It's these two vigilante girls who become friends and they team up to be the masked vigilantes taking boys to task. Who it's like a Marvel accused. comic. It is. It is. <laughs> From it's woman's funny. Point of view. It is so, it's funny, but it's serious. It's sweet, vicious. You've got to watch it. It's amazing. It's an MTV show. This is how you know that, that there's real change in the air because there were quite a few incidences that have happened over the last five years where it's been revealed. Hunting Ground, that documentary that came out that revealed how hard it is for college girls to report rape when it's been perpetrated by one of their fellow classmates. They have to go to the classes with these people still. It's interesting to me that, you know, so we talk about romance as fiction written by women... For, for women, women about, about women, women. Yeah. and often so we're actually in the Australian Romance Readers Convention um, and often in panels in conventions and stuff we talk about how the domestic life which is a preoccupation of romance and women's fiction is devalued and I'm now just starting to think about well what happens when we start writing about things outside of the domestic life yeah. things that have political consequences 
it seems to be absent in our genre at the moment. Yeah. And I don't know when the political became, when the personal stopped becoming political. We've kind of like neutered the politics out of romance to make it more broadly accessible. And I think this new generation might be more open to it. You know, there's maybe there's we should be questioning about making it more palatable. Maybe we should be really be questioning that. Maybe we should be saying we we want to be able to be provoked in our reading. Or the other, well, yes, that, or the process of neutralizing it. That's a political statement. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a kind of a silencing. So I'm looking for bit. like political activist uh, heroines who go up against stuff stuffy lawyers who yeah. are um, defending corporations who are dodging taxes. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. Please, please, please. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, so Kristen Callahan is in this convention. Yeah. And you got to meet her. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you a general question about conventions and reader events and what they mean to you. Oh, God, what do they mean to me? I'm, I'm the person that goes really red in the face when I get to meet my author heroes and I just go, I love you so much. When's the next book coming out? Um, you know, the the Canberra conference two years ago was my very first uh, convention of this and I got to meet Sarah Mabry, who is an Australian author. and it's She's just, so lovely. She is my hero. And I, I, I had recently consumed, like, her entire backlist and I got to meet her in person and shake her hand and give her a, a hug and take a photo with her and just tell her how much she had... Um, just brought joy to my life and it's just a, it's just a thank you to them because it's really weird there's someone that, someone that you read late at night you read you know books spanning over like a 10-year career period of theirs and you just want to shake their hand and say good job keep going I'm here I'm one of your readers and I appreciate you and I want to keep reading you and I can't even begin to tell you when I first met Melina Maqueda oh. what my reaction was I cried I got a photo with her uh, I had been emailing her previously and I was like, I don't know if you know who I am, I'm Danielle Binks. And she sort of said, of course I know who you are. <laughs> and I just burst into tears. And, I, and that happens every time. I'm, I'm, I've met Melina a few times now and every time I'm just gobsmacked that she's so wonderful and I get to tell her that in person. <laughs> so two things, Sarah Mabry is an understated talent oh because she also writes for TV. <sighs> yes. And it's really actually rare to find romance authors who write in other fields. Yeah, successfully. So yeah. successfully. She's, a, uh, she's contributed to, to Neighbours for many, many years. Um, and Melina Marquetta, yeah. I've had to avoid her events because I feel like I'm the creepy <laughs> reader who keeps popping up. And then, like, I'm completely incomprehensible. Like, she <laughs> tries to talk to me to, to show that, you know, she appreciates that I'm know, there, but I, I just, like, talk over her. But are you like me? Like, have you been reading her since you were a teenager? Because I've been reading no. her since I was a teen. Oh, well, I feel like she's raised me. <laughs> and that's, hard, that's very hard to tell an author that. <laughs> so this is how old I am. Looking for Ali Brandi, I think, came out the year after I graduated from high school. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I read it when I was kind of like in year eight or nine. So I just started high school and, and it was me. Yeah. And actually, I discovered her work through she um, she re- rewrote. I don't know if she rewrote, but a scene from The Piper's Son was in the Books Alive anthology. Oh, you yeah, know when the, we yeah. used to have the 50, the anthology. We, we used to have this reading event that was run by the government yeah. or sponsored by the government, and they would put out an anthology that had you know some of the best authors. And so I did a review of that anthology and said that was the strongest story, and I really wanted to know more. So she actually emailed me from her what I like to think as her personal email account. Yeah. So I never replied because as a, 
I don't like to be a creepy reader and I don't yeah. like to be a fangirly fawning reader, especially yeah. when I'm reviewing books because I, I just, I just, I need to have that yeah. separation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until later that I realized how, you know, how well known she was. And I deeply regret not replying to her so that we can be lifelong friends. <laughs> friends, and, yeah, bosom buddies. But yeah. I have kept that email address yeah. and I'm like, I know her private email address. Yeah. I don't know if it is or not, it's but like, it just makes me feel good. A bit of a touchstone, <laughs> a bit of a comfort. We have a connection. Yeah, then that's very true. And it has her, like, her full name. Yeah. Not her. And Which like, we don't even want to say it here, do we? Because no. it's a bit of a secret. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's a secret or not, I don't but I don't, I'm like, I know something about her that many people I might know. not. I know. I like having that close to my heart. Um, but yes, so we know what Melina Marquette is. And yeah. actually, I don't know if I should say this, but my daughter, I call her by <gasps> Melina Marquette's Oh, really? Because like, yeah. they share a, sli- a, a similar... That's lovely. Name. No, well, kind of, I, I cannot recommend The Pipe of Sun enough. It is my favourite book of hers. And that's saying a lot because I love every single book of hers. Like Jellico Road is phenomenal. Can I also recommend Sarah Mabry? If you're listening to this, <laughs> I love you still. <laughs> um, my favourite uh, book of all time by Sarah Mabry is Her Best Friend because the trope is in the title. I do love uh, friends getting together. That's one of my favourite tropes. I also love her Wait, best work Wait, is this the same. one where they, the three of them are really great yes. friends, but he married the other Yes. Girl. That broke me. No, that I really love that. Broke me. I love that book so much. I love that book so much. I reread that frequently. Can I just tell you, I have a first, her first book published. I have that in print. Oh, shut <laughs> up. I want that. Well, I, let me say, I also love Her Best Worst Mistake. It's, that's a really steamy one of Sarah Mabry's. And I also love her Brother's Ink series. That's just oh, okay, out. the self-published Satis- one. Yeah, The Satisfaction. But Her Best Friend is probably my favourite Sarah Mabry book. Um, and when I met her for the first time and got that book signed, she was like, I'm so glad somebody else loves this couple as much as I do. I was like, ah, oh, twins. I love Sarah Mabry. She's one of, she's, she, you're right, she should be regarded throughout Australian romance as one of our greatest. Because she's also very popular in America. I love her unconditionally. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry that there's so much Melina Marquetta fangirling. No, no, don't be sorry for that. That's all we have time for in this episode. As always, thank you to our audio producer, Rudy Bremer. You can find the show notes at bookthingo.com.au slash podcast. Just click on episode 41. If you have any feedback or suggestions, you can send me a tweet at bookthingo or send an email to podcast at bookthingo.com.au. We have a new review on iTunes. Ethel H. from Australia left the following comments. Such fun, much irreverence, really great author interviews and reader chats. Thank you, Ethel. I know leaving a review on iTunes isn't the most straightforward process, but it's the best way to help other readers find us. So we absolutely appreciate you doing this. And please do visit bookthingo.com.au to check out reviews and opinions from a bunch of readers from Down Under, including me and Rudy. In the next episode, we feature our final interview from ARC with Australian romance and women's fiction author Fiona Lowe. Fiona won both the Rita and the Ruby in 2012 for her contemporary romance book, Boomerang Bride. We talk about that book, and we also talk about her move from category romance into contemporary single title fiction. Until then, I hope you have a fabulous fortnight of reading.